Welcome to the discussion, Modern Government, Emerging Trends in Intelligent Automation in a Time of Rapid Change, sponsored by KPMG. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guest today is Kirk Everson, the Principal and Government Intelligence Automation Leader at KPMG. Kirk, welcome to the discussion today. Thanks for having me, Jason. Let me say a little context for our conversation. A recent report from the Robotics Process Automation Community of Practice in the Government highlights the impact of the technology over the last few years. In 2020 alone, the report says RPA program maturity increased significantly with the number of automations deployed across government increasing by 110% and the number of annualized hours of capacity created increasing by 195%. Last year alone, agencies deployed 460 automations, which is expected to save more than 848,000 hours. The paper says this growth demonstrates that programs have matured and increased their functional capacity, which means automation tools became more impactful and therefore increased the demand for these software solutions. Overwhelmingly, the CFO office is using automation to save time. Some 49% of all implementations came from that group. But acquisition, administrative, and IT were all in double digits as well, showing just how success travels. So how can agencies continue to take advantage of automation and similar tools to move away from manual and low-value work? Well, that's where my guest comes in. Once again, my guest is Kirk Everson, the Principal and Government Intelligent Automation Leader at KPMG. A lot of news from that recent report from the community of practice, and it's all good news. So talk to me a little bit about the trends we're seeing in intelligent automation. And obviously, we're going to talk here about maybe some hyper-automation, low-code, no-code, APIs, all the, all the buzzwords that seem to be coming up. Yeah, Jason, I think that report was, was, was very timely. Um, you know, I think if you look at, you know, even, even as, as recently as two years ago, a lot of agencies were still kind of scratching their heads about, you know, what is this technology? How do I procure it? Um, how can it benefit me? Um, and, and I think a lot of those questions have been answered for the most part. Agencies are much more comfortable uh, with the tools and capabilities that intelligent automation can bring uh, to them. And so, you know, some of the trends that we're seeing are, are agencies are, are, are less inclined to just do, you know, one or two proofs of concept to prove out the, uh, the technology. Now that they know it works, a lot of agencies are looking to others for lessons learned and implementing RPA programs that are a little bit more uh, robust. And by robust, I mean more enterprise-wide. Um, you know, your stat around, you know, a lot of the automations uh, starting in the finance and accounting area is, is, is what we're seeing too, because the processes are pretty well defined and, and the data is structured. Um, but, but I think, you know, agencies are looking beyond RPA as well. And, you know, the whole idea of hyper automation is starting to come into the vernacular of, of a lot of agencies. And, and what I mean by hyper automation is, you know, you look at, at, at RPA as definitely a stepping stone to, to AI, uh, but many of these automation platforms are starting to integrate other more advanced capabilities. You know, for example, uh, some of the low-code platforms, many of, of, of whom are already in production at, at federal agencies, are starting to incorporate RPA inherently in, in their platforms. Uh, the other things that, that the RPA vendors are doing is they're starting to uh, enable APIs to uh, more advanced AI and ML solutions within their platforms. So it makes it much simpler for a government agency who's who's implementing one of these platforms to tap into what I'll call democratized AI. And so you don't need you know, a, an army of data scientists to build you machine learning algorithms in Python. You can leverage you know, the APIs within these automation platforms to really stretch the, the, the capabilities uh, and, and the objectives that you're trying to meet from a mission perspective. Um, so so that's, that's where I think a lot of agencies are gonna have to go to really achieve uh, some of the more advanced automation solutions that they're, they're getting to. Um, the, the other point I'll, I'll bring up is, is 
there, there's also the idea of, of setting a, a governance structure. Um, a lot of agencies have, have been past the POC, they've been past the pilot. Uh, they're starting to scale with additional automations. Um, you know, but then they realize, well, I, I, we've got to put some, some structure in, in place to, to manage this. You know, one agency that we're working with in the DOD, you know, did that, that exact thing. They started to, to, to stand up a number of automations. Um, there was a lot of uh, excitement uh, from not only the program side of the house, but, but from, the, from the, uh, the back office side of the house. Uh, to really implement this at scale. And, and so what they had to do was, was take a step back and say, wait a minute, this is going to get unwieldy if we don't put some, some governance in, in, around this. And so, so we've helped them stand up a, 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 a kind of a digital center of excellence to help manage ingest, demand management, cost recovery, staffing, all, all the project management, all those sorts of things, because it in essence becomes uh, a, a program. And then I guess the final trend I'll bring up um, is you know, some agencies have started with RPA, but then it kind of stalled. Um, you know, the proof of concept was was developed. There was value given, but for whatever reason, whether it was, you know, lack of an executive evangelist, whether it was, you know, other priorities, uh, kind of stalled. And so what I'll call the the, the intelligent automation deployment redux, where, where we're coming in and kind of helping agencies um, reinvigorate uh, their, their original uh, intent to stand up an automation program. So, so, so those are the probably the, the biggest trends we're seeing more recently. Um, you know, and I think what's what's exciting, again, is agencies are getting smarter uh, on how they they implement some of these solutions. I want to go back to one thing you said about the governance piece and and setting up the COE as the centers of excellence. Uh, one of the trends I saw in the RPA state of RPA and government report was that a lot of this is moving to that broader viewpoint. Is that just natural progression that we see of? technologies first you, know, you dip your toe in then you, you get a little deeper and then once you're about knee deep you're all in at that point and you really need that management you need you're going to get wet so you might as well you know have have a have a, a, a way to get wet and that's that makes sense yeah uh, again, my analogy may be off a little bit well i know i think that's right i mean you know our initial conversations when we started talking about intelligent automation four or five years ago to government agencies was what is it I, I hear the term bot that scares me. I don't like it. You know, I'm, I'm concerned, um, you know, but, but now that agencies are more comfortable with it, they're embracing it much faster. And, and, and in order to, to manage that velocity, you really need to, you know, allow for, I'll call it a governance wrapper uh, and a program around it. The, the, the biggest thing that, that governance does besides managing the demand and, and, and the, uh, the rollout and, and management of automations and, 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 and advanced capabilities around AI is, is also the, the, the stakeholders. Um, many governance uh, structures that we're implementing and we're seeing are essentially bringing in either existing agency um, infrastructure, you know, existing uh, change boards, uh, but, but they're enabling them with this additional capability. So, so you're, you're making sure that you know, the CIO, the CISO, the programs, uh, deputy directors, they're all involved in the conversation so that there are no surprises. I think one of the early uh, lessons learned from, from, from RPA, you know, that piece of automation, was that a lot of the business side of the house, the programs, the, the non-IT um, functions, were starting to experiment and, and in some cases without the knowledge of the CIO. Um, and that kind of came back and, and bit them. So what this governance process does is, okay, you're scaling, we gotta make sure we have the right infrastructure. We got to make sure we have the right security. We got to make sure we have the right, um, uh, you know, uh, evangelists in place to help us, you know, uh, bring this to the enterprise. And so it's it's also an enabler as well as a control function. 
the other piece of this that I would just want to touch upon from a trend perspective is the, the democratization of data. I hear that term quite often. You don't all of a sudden need this advanced degree, this idea of what well, we have to go hire, as you said, a team of data scientists. Almost anyone, because of the APIs, because of the ability to set this up, the tools set up in such a way that, that I, you, whomever could go in and go, I want to do it this way or set up a bot that way. Walk me through a little bit about how that's what you're seeing from your your agency customers about how their the average person can then move into the the intelligent automation world. Well, the, the, the to your point about the democratization of these capabilities, uh, a lot of these, uh, a lot of the vendors, whether they're RPA, low code, and, and by the way, those are converging. If you look at the uh, the, the the Forrester and Gartner studies. They, they, they want to be able to provide um, an easy way to configure these solutions. And so what most of them, if not all of them have done is, is implemented kind of this, this object oriented development where, you know, if you're used to frankly clicking and dragging and building process flows and, 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 and you know, enabling these, these, these tools in a way that you're not um, sitting there, you know, in a code session for, for 18 hours straight, that's what they want to get to because that they, because they understand that that's the quickest way that they're going to get adoption across the the you know the the, the federal federal government. Um, you know, for me, what I look for when I try to um, uh, deliver on an automation project and I'm bringing people in are folks that have an understanding of technology. I think that's a must, but they don't necessarily need to have PhDs in in, in mathematics or, or data science. They need to just understand how processes work and how the capabilities work and have an overall understanding of technology and architecture. So it really broadens the aperture of those that can can facilitate and deliver on these tools, which is which is great. I, now, I don't want to oversimplify. You, you, you know, you can't pull someone off the street and just say, go ahead and you know, implement these tools. You do need the expertise. But it's, uh, the, the barrier to entry is much uh, lower. Uh, for someone who's got a background that that makes sense to to deliver these tools, and so so that that's really the benefit. And again, with these APIs, as you mentioned, I can pull in a, a very uh, a quick machine learning algorithm just based upon what's already been predetermined from the vendor, and and allow for, for example, natural language processing of of a contract. Right? I can pull in a an NLP algorithm to go ahead and read a document and extract certain things from that document without leaving the the low code or the R platform. So it's really powerful. One of the things we've seen over the last, you know, six, nine months with the pandemic is this urgency, the, the need to kind of change the way agencies do business. How has automation really kind of played a bigger role in that urgency and that need to, to improve citizen and customer services? Yeah, we, we've definitely seen an, inc seen an increased need in, in digital transformation uh, with, with the pandemic. Um, I, I think one of the things that agencies are trying to do with, with folks working from home is you know, and some some agencies have to have folks in the office to to do certain things just because of the way the business processes are oriented. Uh, so so we're seeing trends where, you know, we want our workers when they're in the office to be as mo most efficient as they can. Um, so you know, one example we're working with a with a, a local government agency to to essentially make sure that for for uh, claims processing uh, of unemployment. Uh, that, that the folks that are in the office can be most efficient and use automation to triage a lot of the emails coming in uh, to help process the backlog of claims so that, you know, when they're there, all the queues are ready, all the reviews are ready, everything's triaged so they can be as efficient as they can. Uh, the, the other thing that we're seeing is since most folks are working from home, you know, you, you think about, well, I got to go to the filing cabinet and pull that file and I got to review it. There, there's more demand for um, workflow. There's more demand for 
electronic document uh, ingest so, so that folks at home don't have to go over to the filing cabinet to pull out a file. They can review documents, they can review claims, they can review uh, uh, certain workflow enabled items through a digital platform that allows them more uh, flexibility from, from working from home. So, so I think that's, that's the other trend. And then finally, you know, we're, we're seeing the use of um, automation, specifically RPA, I'll say to increase the extensibility of legacy IT. Uh, one example, we helped a federal agency uh, who, who was uh, still using a very, um, very much a, a legacy mainframe system, but they had to um, find a way to, uh, it, was very, it was a very simple process, uh, concept in, 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 in theory, but it was hard because it was a mainframe system. They had to, for those frontline healthcare workers, um, somehow indicate in their payroll that they were uh, now eligible for hazard pay. Well, to do that in the mainframe environment was very manual. I mean, you had to literally tab through a number of different fields to get to the right indicator to then click on the hazard pay uh, indicator. Well, we implemented automation to, to essentially enable the workforce to, 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 to get the, uh, the pay that they need needed for, for, for those critical functions. So, so, you know, getting more out of that legacy system through these kind of overlays of digital capabilities has been another way that, you know, COVID has gotten us to, to be more creative in our use cases. Two excellent examples, because I think those are real life. Hey, it's not just, hey, let's use automation and do it. It's here's ways to do it. And it actually shows a promise and, and shows impact. Kirk, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our discussion. You're listening to the discussion, Modern Government. Emerging Trends in Intelligent Automation in a Time of Rapid Change, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. Is your agency feeling the pressure to modernize? A new app isn't enough. Becoming modern requires rethinking the way you operate. At KPMG, we help agencies optimize their business functions, enable the workforce with digital platforms and tools, and protect critical assets from ever-changing threats. Meet current and future mission requirements by continuously improving and constantly adapting with KPMG by your side. To learn more, visit kpmg.com US federal. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Modern Government, Emerging Trends in Intelligent Automation in a Time of Rapid Change. Sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Kirk Everson, the Principal and Government Intelligent Automation Leader at KPMG. Kirk, before break, we're talking about how kind of COVID has impacted the use of intelligent automation, how agencies have really moved toward bringing more of this in. And you mentioned low-code platforms as, as another approach to getting intelligent automation moving maybe more quickly. Let's go down that path a little bit. What are you seeing around low-code, no-code platforms, and, and why is that so important to agencies, again, continued use, continued expansion of intelligent automation? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Jason. I think one of the lessons learned that COVID um, taught us was, you know, as a, as a federal agency with missions to support either citizens or their own employees or, or other stakeholders, you know, the need to pivot very quickly and the need to build capabilities uh, very quickly uh, with, with um, you know, limited budget. And, and I think one of the, one of the benefits of, uh, one of the many benefits of these low-code platforms is that you can do just that. Uh, it, it, the, these platforms allow you to stand up new capability um, in a matter of, and, and I will dare to say days versus months. Uh, you know, one example was, you know, we worked with a a large federal agency who had, um, you know, agency employees all over the world. And, and when, when the pandemic first hit, uh, you know, there was a big, uh, a big concern about the safety of their, of their employees overseas. And so we actually helped within a matter of days 
uh, stand up a capability within a low code platform to start to track um, uh, where those employees were, the process of, of getting those employees um, back to the country and, and making sure that they were safe. And so, so, so that was a huge benefit to the agency that, you know, normally wouldn't have had that capability nor the need to, to track, you know, that in such a quick, quick manner. Um, the other thing that we're now seeing now that things are kind of reopening is, is using low code platforms to uh, kind of return to work. Um, you know, when we're doing it at KPMG as well, we're using a low code platform uh, to, you know, as folks need to go into the office, we're making sure that, you know, they're, they're, they're filling out health surveys. Uh, we're, we're, we're integrating it with our physical security systems uh, to make sure that we're tracking who's coming and going. Um, we're making sure that if there is an issue or a case, you know, these low-code platforms allow for case management, very dynamic case management and workflow. So if there is, a, is an issue, whether it's, a, you know, hey, the office wasn't cleaned properly or, hey, we've got a case of COVID, uh, we're able to use these low-code platforms uh, very quickly uh, to to track a lot of these uh, these things that normally, again, we wouldn't have been ha had a need for. So, so, so that's really been helpful uh, as well. And then, you know, the other thing we've had to do, and many organizations have had to do this, is is onboarding new employees and and, and new contractors. And and you know, historically, you would you know walk around the office and 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 get your laptop and you know fill out some forms and and make sure you get your ID badge. Well, we've had to do that remotely. And so, again, these low-code platforms have allowed us the extensibility and, and the, the speed to, to enhance those processes to make them digital so that folks don't have to come into a physical location. We can send everything to them. We can track the status. We can, you know, offboard employees appropriately through these platforms and workflow-enabled capabilities. Um, so, so this whole idea of, of trying to get to the virtual workforce through these digital platforms has really increased the demand uh, for these services, and 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 frankly, it's out of necessity versus out of um, you know out of want. So so we're really excited about what these what these platforms can do for us. Just in case if people are not familiar with low code platforms, walk me through why or how they work a little bit because it seems to me like oh so I don't have to do a lot of coding to make this happen. So where am I getting the capabilities? Do they just exist in the ether? Do they exist through APIs? Just did someone else write them and I'm just tweaking? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it provides a platform from which to develop apps. And, and I think, as I mentioned before in the, in the prior segment, uh, a lot of the, the, the coding has, has been kind of um, done in a way that there's a wrapper around. It's more object oriented. So if you need to do a, an interface or an API, it's click and drag versus having to develop code to, to develop that integration, whether it's you know, in, in, in Python or, or you, you name the, the language. So it, it allows kind of more of a citizen developer approach uh, to these solutions. Um, and, and so it simplifies uh, the, 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 the development of the capability, uh, but it also increases the, the time to value, or excuse me, reduces the time to value and increases the value to the customer more quickly. So, so you're not starting from scratch. You've got a platform with a baseline from which to pull these different capabilities from. So, so it's a really um, effective way to, to, as I mentioned before, um, stand up a capability very quickly without having to pull in a bunch of you know, developers and start from scratch. So, so it's, it's that object oriented development um, that, that, you know, without much code, I mean, there's some code that we do have to use in some cases, um, but, it, but it's much less than, you know, 10 years ago when we were developing stuff in, you know, in, in Java from scratch, or, you know, so it's, it's, it's a much more extensible uh, solution and platform. Hence the name low code. There you go. There you go. Like there's sometimes names work out well. Yeah. I want to shift gears just a little bit because one of the things we keep talking about 
bots and intelligent automation and low code, no code, there's still a security issue that comes up. And mm -hmm. I remember early on when, when I was writing and covering RPA and intelligent automation, there was a lot of concern of, well, do these bots need some kind of PIV card? Do we need to get them security training? And I know NASA and GSA were among the leaders kind of, okay, I think we do. And then eventually everyone kind of took a half a step back and say, I'm not sure we do anymore because of this reason. What are you seeing from the security side of this, of this discussion? Yeah, that's a very, very important uh, consideration. You know, I'd say, you know, two, three, four years ago when we were having discussions with this with this uh, technology on the agenda, uh, a lot of agencies had those concerns. Wait a minute, again, you know, I, I hear the term bots, I hear the term automation. I, it makes me nervous as a CISO, and and so I, I need to understand it more. Um, the, other, the other thing that I think uh, OMB did was they, they opened the door a bit more to non-person entity um, access. So, so, so I think that that was a lot of the top cover that agencies needed to to make sure that you know, if we do a bot, we we are within the the, the framework and policies that that are out there. Um, you know, but but yeah, these are considerations that have to be addressed, and and you really have to make sure that, you know, I mentioned governance before. You really have to make sure that you're following the appropriate agency processes. And when we implement automations, we're not just doing it, you know, uh, kind of willy nilly. We're following a, a, an agile process. We're doing testing. We're doing um, you know, process design documents, technical design documents, you know, it's, it's, there are many IT projects in and of themselves. And, and we build security into each automation. And, and frankly, if we don't, when the auditors, when the inspectors general come in, they're going to want to look at that and say, you've got a bot, you know, implemented here. How are, what are your controls over that bot? So, you know, a great example is, is, you know, the, the, the whole idea of a cat card or a PIV card, you know, historically, that would have been a challenge for a purely logical automation. Well, there's, there's architectures out there uh, that allow for you to um, essentially mimic a PIV or a CAT card in a secure vault. So now the automations can operate in that DOD space or, or space where you're, you're operating, you know, uh, PII or PHI uh, through, through, the, um, through, through those hardware security modules that are out there. So, so the, the discussions we're having now versus four years ago, folks are more comfortable with it. And, and again, you know, that thanks to OMB and others that have kind of embraced the technology and said this is a way to to meet president's management agenda and reduction of, of low value work um, and, and, and making sure that you have a framework in place and, and top cover from a policy perspective. I very much enjoyed the non-person entity memo when, that, when it came out under the identity and access management update. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that was a great use of words. All this is leading to better decisions and the way agencies get better decisions is not just the data, but the kind of the technology around it. And in many cases, it happens to be artificial intelligence, machine learning, what are you seeing about how agencies are now moving up that maturity ladder to kind of apply these emerging, if you will, technologies on top of intelligent automation to make it, if you will, more intelligent? Yeah, a lot of agencies recognize that, um, you know, developing these, these, these capabilities from scratch isn't the most efficient way to do it. You know, you look at the large cloud providers out there, and a lot of the large cloud providers uh, are, are allowing agencies to uh, tap into these capabilities as as part of their infrastructure solutions. So if you want to, you know, pull in a machine learning algorithm that's going to do something for you, you can actually uh, pull that directly from from uh, what, lack of a better term, an API store. Uh, it's it's very much been kind of um, parsed out. So for certain capabilities, uh, you can you can use those capabilities, and then you know it's it's per the drink. The, the license cost is every time I hit that API, I can I can um, you know I, I I pay the fee, and it's a very minor fee. Uh, so, so what what's happening is all these things are starting to converge. Where you've got the infrastructure, the cloud providers 
allowing you access to some of these more advanced capabilities through APIs. You're also having the low-code vendors implementing some of these APIs to access some of those um, capabilities. And then you've got also the RPA providers implementing low-code and, and, and API into their platforms. So there's this convergence you know, among the, the software as a service, infrastructure as a service, and platform as a service to basically give the customer choices. Um, so there's really no need to develop these, these standalone um, machine learning algorithms unless it's for a very specific purpose that may have a mission uh, need. Um, but if it's for something like natural language uh, understanding, natural language processing, natural language generation, um, you know, a lot of these things are, I don't wanna say pre-can, but they're, they're built so, and, and just need to be tweaked based on the data sets you're looking at, the taxonomy of the data and that sort of thing. So, so it's really allowed better access to more advanced solutions with increased control because these, these solutions have been built already, they've been tested. Uh, they, they, and so, so you can kind of trust a bit more that, you know, these, these, these proven solutions versus something you're, you're, you're building from scratch. I think it, that choice is so important for agencies to know when they're going in to say, Oh, okay, we can just tweak it. As you said, we can just kind of, okay, how does this match up to the data we need it to process versus having to write it from scratch that saves so much time. We can talk more about AI. There's a whole supply chain issue. There's trust, but, but Kirk, we're almost out of time. So before I let you go, let's just, what's the big takeaway from our conversation today? what we've seen is agencies are up the maturity framework. They're doing more with RPA, more with intelligent automation. They're getting better about it. Most are moving out of the proof of concept. What are things they should keep in mind as they continue to advance their program and take more advantage of these uh, technologies? Yeah, I think, I think recognizing where the market is going and by market, I mean, you know, the vendors out there that are providing these technologies, um, they're, they're, they're adding more and more capability every day. And, you know, four years ago, it was just pure RPA, right? Um, now there's so many more opportunities and capabilities built into a lot of these low code and RPA vendor solutions that, you know, you, you really, you really, your imagination is the limit as far as the use cases that you can, you can intake. So, so I think understanding the capabilities and the revolution in the past three to four years is important for agencies to understand what they can truly, you know, optimize out of these capabilities. Uh, the other piece is, you know, making sure that you have that governance in place to, to manage, and I don't want to say just intelligent automation, but essentially digital transformation. Again, if it's one thing that that, that this the recent pandemic has taught us is that, you know, we really need to be more digital in, in how we interact with our workforce, how we interact with internal and external stakeholders and, and citizens, uh, to be more efficient and effective. And and these these low code these digital platforms uh, are providing that opportunity, but they have to be done in a controlled manner. And so allowing the right stakeholders, allowing the right um, security frameworks, allowing the right business models to, to be in place is, is really important for, to, so having that governance model uh, is, is, is critical. And then finally, you know, it's persistence. Um, I think, again, going back to my example before about this whole automation redux, if you, if you do that pilot, if you're, you're starting out there, you know, scale quickly and scale fast because you're, you're only gonna see the benefits uh, of these automation solutions and these digital transformations uh, if you're persistent and you have the right folks at the table. So it's an exciting time. Obviously, it's a unique time for us, but uh, it, it creates a lot of opportunities for us. I think that message around persistence is important. If you do a lot of stops and starts, you're eventually not going to see the benefits that this automation that is obviously giving to a lot of agencies and getting them to kind of really change their business processes. Kirk, we could talk a lot longer, but unfortunately, we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guest. Kirk Everson is the Principal and Government Intelligent Automation Leader at KPMG. Kirk, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for your time, Jason. 
I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion, Modern Government, Emerging Trends in Intelligent Automation in a Time of Rapid Change, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search KPMG. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Modern Government, Emerging Trends in Intelligent Automation in a Time of Rapid Change, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network.